0: It's no secret that South Africa's government coffers are running dry and the implications are obviously dire for a country that is already experiencing anemic economic growth, to put it mildly. The gap between government revenue and spending is getting wider by the day with a midterm budget just around the corner. The big question, of course, is where is all this money for the shortfall going to come from? I'm Jeremy Maggs. This is No Ordinary Wednesday. It's our in-depth look at what's driving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. Today. The Finance Minister, Enoch Godongwana, has the unenviable task of delivering his mid-term budget speech on the 1st of November against a backdrop of soaring municipal debt and an energy and logistics crisis. So let's uh, see if we can paint a picture for you of what we can expect from the Minister in this tough economic environment. I'm joined by two regular guests on this podcast, Chief Economist Annabelle Bishop, along with Treasury Economist Tertia Jacobs. To both of you, a very warm welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. Annabelle, let's dive in. Let's start with the critical issue of government finances. As I mentioned, not enough revenue. Overspending has resulted in a shortfall. The minister already asking for cuts in government spending. The question is, or the questions, I guess, are will those calls be heeded and What options does he have?
1: typically um, you have three options the um, finance minister outlined himself. It's either raise revenue through higher taxes, typically, or obviously to cut expenditure or increase borrowings. And of course, you know, we find ourselves in a situation where we're in an election year, essentially, or the run-up to an election, should we say. And we don't really expect there to be very substantial expenditure cuts. But that said, we have seen some outlined. And of course, some of those include amalgamating certain government departments. And of course, let's be clear here, it doesn't mean cutting the police service the teachers other productive civil servants is rather at the top at the top administration end typically you don't see tax increases at the medium-term budget policy statement those are really kept for the february budget Mm -hmm. and of course as we said you know we're going to be going to an election year so from that perspective one wouldn't anticipate them but of course we might well see capital gains tax increased and perhaps at the top marginal end as well for income tax
0: Show me a political party anywhere in the world that raises taxes in an election cycle, I will show you a political party that loses an election. So you're absolutely right. That's not going to happen. Tersh, I'm going to get to you in just a moment, but uh, capital gains, would, would that be a, an easy way of, of navigating your way through this impasse?
1: Quite possibly. Of course, what's quite likely as well is they don't adjust the fiscal bracket. And what that really means is you don't make adjustments for higher inflation because, as we know, every year inflation um, shows that prices increase. And every year, of course, you do tend to have those adjustments, which provide some relief for consumers, which might otherwise fall into higher tax brackets when perhaps they really shouldn't in real terms. So that could garner you maybe 20 or $30 And, of course, as we said, you know, there's probably going to be some upward pressure on the wealthy as well. Capital gains tax very easy and, of course, as well, the top marginal rate.
0: Tersha, let's focus on the budget deficit. Um, correct my numbers, but it's expected to get larger, around 5% of GDP. I think it was from a targeted 3.9 or 4% in this financial year. So here's the frightening number. Our debt could reach 72, just over, percent of GDP. Some analysts are saying this could rise even to 80%. Let's draw a deep breath here. How do you see all of this unfolding? What are the implications? And particularly with higher government spending.
2: So that is the the very important dynamic that's going to play out over the next few years. Now, with this year's budget deficit expected to increase, as you pointed out, from about 3.9% to 5%, you know, a big driver there is the anticipated shortfall in revenue receipts of between 50 to 60 billion. But the big driver there is actually the effect of weaker growth and the decline in commodity prices on corporate income taxes. The expenditure dynamic is always an issue, especially with state-owned enterprise cash injections, the increase in the public sector wage bill. But I think the big dynamic is going forward is the extent to which there is going to be a rebound in the economy and that pertains to a sustainable decline in load shedding where the energy sector can become more resilient and combined with an increase in capacity as well as um, transnets freight performance and to get more exports through the ports. So that is going to be a big driver of where corporate income tax is going to. Also, um, we can anticipate, you know, a moderation in interest rates um, sometime next year. So that will also be supportive of consumer spending. So if some of those structural and cyclical factors kick in, that would help to stabilize the, the debt to GDP ratio. If that doesn't transpire, then we will be looking at 80% of GDP.
0: So let me ask you a couple of follow ups. First of all, Part of your argument is predicated, I would put to you, on two big ifs. One is the stabilization of ESCOM. Uh, There are indications, there are hints, but we haven't seen anything material yet. We've also got lots of boardroom shenanigans in that respect. Second of all, the same thing with Transnet. Problems within leadership and uh, real issues about uh, moving goods and services. That is a huge what-if, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. We're hoping in a way that this is going to be the, the nader in South Africa's growth, you know, with the intensification in load shedding, transnet's freight dropping to about, I think it's about seventy-two million tons. So we know that there's NICOM at ESCOM, there's emergency committee involved at Transnet. There has been media reports about this roadmap for Transnet, which is not public yet. So our understanding is is that compared to five months ago, you know, especially the business side's engagement with these two SOEs have really increased. So unfortunately, you know, it's like turning a very big power tank ship around. We're not immediately going to see the fruits of this, but we are hoping that, especially as far as the the load shedding is concerned, you know, that next year will be relatively better with, you know, three or four Kusili units one Madupi um, unit coming back online, still waiting for Kubrick. and then towards the end of the line, a pickup in in the freight transport. But as you say, it, that's these are the the critical critical factors.
0: Annabelle, I'm going to come to you with SOEs in just a moment, but uh, Tertia, just a quick follow-up here: the movement from a targeted 3.9 percent to possibly five percent of GDP in terms of the deficit. Just explain that to me in simple terms. Is, is that a big move of the needle?
2: So there's a couple of factors that go into it. On When you just look at a ratio at the top of the line, it's your forecast for your main, your revenue receipts and your expenditure. So that's a function then of, you know, the expected drop in, in revenues of between 50 to 60 billion and perhaps an overshoot in spending of about 15, 25 billion rand. And then the nominator is what's happening to nominal GDP. And that's going to be roughly unchanged compared to Treasury's forecast. So that dynamic is then leading to the increase from 39
0: to 5%. I'm going to return to commodity prices in just a moment, but Annabel Bishop, back to you. Let's re- reflect on state-owned enterprises. Um, we've referenced ESCOM and Transnet, but there are others as well that continue to be a huge drain on the government uh, purse, a perpetual call for government to come to the rescue. W- what's your assessment in that particular sphere?
1: The key point here really is that government has said it does not want to have this drain on its finances permanently coming from the state-owned enterprises. And of course, often using the monies they receive from bailouts as income, which is not correct at all. And the government actually wants the SOEs to become self-financing. In fact, they've actually gone a step further and they have said previously that they actually want to actually only have SOEs that are absolutely critical and necessary. We've already seen government pay down the guaranteed debt of some of the SOEs, which has been, you know, small amounts. Obviously, it hasn't been able to do the same for Eskom and for Transnet. But, you know, that's really the bottom line. I think government doesn't actually want to be in a situation where they actually guarantee SOE debt anymore.
0: But fundamentally, it's a political issue because uh, when push comes to shove, the bailout always tends to come because it has an impact on jobs. And let's return to the election cycle that we referenced earlier.
1: I think there's something different happening here, Jeremy. So I'd probably disagree with you. And what's really happening is we actually see on the Eskim bailout that there have been quite strict terms coming from Treasury in terms of what needs to happen for them to access the money to actually reduce their debt. So when we looked at the um, the budget information that we saw last on this, The National Treasury actually talked about the need for concessioning of South Africa's power stations. They talked, of course, that we know that's privatisation, essentially. We also um, saw them look quite substantially at the running of those power stations in terms of that they're going to be run by the private sector. And they need to be brought up to nameplate capacity if they can. So they've been doing an investigation in the interim. We expect to hear the outcome of that investigation. And, of course, those um, private sector individuals who will likely be specialists from around the world who've who've done the investigation and will obviously expect to see um, high-level energy specialists running these power stations, they obviously would be responsible both for the infrastructure and the costs as well as, obviously, repairs and maintenance, you know, getting the monies in. So all of those factors talked a different slant coming through from um, government. If you look at the um, freight roadmap, which was recently highlighted by, I think it was Bloomberg said they'd seen it, they were talking about the private sector again being responsible for large chances of Transnet, and I think that really dovetails with this bailout plan that government's looking at for Eskom, where they obviously are looking for the private sector to take over a large burden. Now bear in mind that at Eskom, the majority of the electricity production is coal. You know, eighty to ninety percent. And that is why these fired power stations are so important. We're likely seeing the same thing to happen at Transnet. I think that's going to probably be announced at the MTBPS as well, the Medium Term Budget Policy Statement. A similar bailout program for Transnet that we have seen outlined for Eskom.
0: Let's do a little pivot to commodities. Um, and uh, Tertia, back to you. You spoke about a decline in in commodity prices, but correct me if I'm wrong. Not too long ago, there was a boom, wasn't there?
2: So, just dialing back to twenty one twenty two you know we had the combination of the covid crisis the escalation in commodity prices, and then last year, the intensification of the energy crisis in Europe that really bolstered um, the price of coal. So all of these dynamics worked in favor of South Africa. And we have now seen the the pullback in commodity prices, basically all of South Africa's commodity prices, including platinum and the gold price. And that's really hit the bottom line of the mining companies in conjunction with the fact that export volumes have declined because of the logistics crisis. So that is why enacting these reforms um, will really provide a big fill-up to the mining sector's performance, you know, notwithstanding a slowdown in the global economy and global demand. Right. We actually are relatively small exporters of these commodities. So there will be a market forward. So for us, the the multiply effect from just, um, you know, restoring some of the freight and the port will really have a benefit to us.
0: Annabelle, let me pull you into the mining industry, correct my figures again if they're wrong, but the Minerals Council estimating it lost something in the region of 35 billion rand in revenue in 2022, worst year ever due to the energy and transport crises that we've spoken about. The mining industry also warning that there are significant job cuts on the horizon. Is there any light at the end of the proverbial tunnel?
1: So I think, you know, Jeremy, this really talks to the problems that government's having in terms of its finances. If you lose so much in terms of revenue from the mines, then, of course, you are losing the ability to tax them well, on that a, amount. That,
0: that's a king's ransom and 35 billion rand is enormous. Yes. Absolutely
1: enormous amount of money. Let's not forget the impact that it has on manufacturers, on businesses that don't have self-generation or even businesses that have self-generation up to a point, but perhaps can't cope with stage six load shedding you know, or higher because it is just so very severe. So, you know, we do find ourselves in a situation in South Africa where that has been a key reason for the deterioration in government finances. If we actually look ahead, and again, we're quite interested to see when this roadmap actually comes out so we can go through it in fine detail, you know, when it's going to kick off and exactly what's going to happen. Typically with these government interventions, we do see committees established and, of course, you know, lots of congratulations about establishing committees, but the actual implementation of the work that results in fast economic growth, that actually results in, Lifting up the capacity of the railway system or electricity capacity, that takes more time. So we still have a weakish economic growth forecast for next year. And of course, that's around about 1%. We see it lifting over the medium term because we do see these repairs coming through. We do see improvement in the rail capacity in South Africa, in the electricity capacity in South Africa. But again, you know, there are risks to it. These things don't happen very quickly. They don't happen overnight. Huge infrastructure repair. And of course, you know, the economy, if it continues to grow in the meantime, puts even additional pressure on government finances as well.
0: Annabelle, as we record this conversation, uh, there were reports that have overtures to the IMF in terms of assisting with Transnet and with electricity capacity build. Would this be seen in a positive light?
1: Look, I think, you know, already we've seen from a climate change perspective, very substantial amounts of money offered to South Africa for us to improve our renewable space. And, you know, that's around $10 billion. I think, you know, if we could actually see that money put even just into transmission lines so that we can actually get those renewable energy projects up and running in the western side of our country, that obviously would be a massive benefit to our electricity sector. In fact, you know, Jeremy, we probably wouldn't even have such severe load shedding as we're experiencing this year if we'd actually been allowed to see the RRP 219 go ahead with the Renewable Energy Plan. But of course, we saw Energy and Minerals Minister holding back as he favours fossil fuels on that area.
0: Talking about costs, Tersha, another spending conundrum that government will have to deal with is uh, social grants. They will take centre stage in one way or another during the mini-budget. Do you have any expectation in that respect?
2: Jeremy, at the moment, you know, it's a question that's unlikely to be answered until February. Um, and then there's also a risk that it can just be extended because there's various dynamics playing into it. So the first issue is in South Africa, we have nearly 9 million people receiving grants, of which 8.5 million receive the social relief of distress grant. Now, the social relief of distress grants is three hundred fifty rand, and there's never been an inflation-adjusted increase. So... If there's a decision to increase the SRD, that could push it higher. And the minister has indicated that will lead to a reduction in spending programs. That's not going to be answered in in the MTBPS. Another dynamic is also for complete overhaul of the social reform um, grant system. You know, we spend more than 200 billion rand on it per annum. I think we're not going to get an answer very soon. And the dynamic as well is if some type of SRD is implemented. You know, it may have to be accompanied with a tax increase. For example, the bill of this SDR is about um, 36 billion rand, and that's nearly equivalent to percentage increase in VAT, right? Because it will be a type of a permanent increase. It's very much wait and see how that is going to unfold.
0: The conversation continues in just a moment. I just want to remind you, that uh, a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Please don't miss it. All you need to do is to subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the channel, please take a moment to rate us. Annabel Bishop, back to you. And you spoke recently about the El Nino weather pattern putting pressure on agricultural production. Is that going to be a factor that plays into discussion?
1: So I think, you know, that's really some of the concerns that we have for next year. We've moved away from a three-year period of La Nina, which means above average rainfall. When we move into El Nino, it means below average rainfall. And of course, you know, we do have some positives. We've come through with some very full dams in many areas of the country. Also, of course, as you would expect, high soil moisture content. And in fact, the summer harvest, which obviously moves into early next year, is not expected to be negatively affected. As we move into the winter harvest, there likely will also be help there as well from the rainfall that we have managed to garner into our dams. But of course, it depends how long does this elm last for? Does it become severe? Does it become lengthy? The entire point of climate change, you know, when we look at what the climatologists warn us about, is that we tend to see more severe and more frequent adverse weather conditions. And, of course, you know, the negative effects on the Cape Winelands at the end of September are a case in point, you know, very worrying, as, of course, are the severe floods that we saw in KwaZulu-Natal a year ago. So all of those factors have a negative impact on the economy. And as we move into our um, forecast period for the government finances, they look at a three-year forecast period. Of course, if we see significantly higher inflation than expected, which we have seen before when we have significant droughts, That has actually in the past even seen food price inflation move towards 30%. And we've seen CPI inflation move up into double digits. That clearly was a very bad period. But of course, you know, we have seen that before in South Africa. You then do tend to see high interest rates on the back of that. So that might scupper the chances of lower interest rates next year. The concern, of course, as well with high inflation is that while it's positive in, in terms of it can deflate government debt <laughs> and deficit fiscal metrics, you know, obviously it has a very negative impact on consumers and already governments overspending and the worries that we might see see higher taxes obviously could cut into their ability to garner more revenue as well.
0: All right, a couple of other questions as we start to draw to the end of this conversation. Uh, Tertia, I'm assuming you spend much of your day uh, immersed in graphs. So talk to me about the yield curve, which monitors economic activity. And uh, you'll tell us it's presenting a steep slope. Please explain.
2: Yes, a snapshot of a yield curve normally tells you a story about where the economy is. The short end tells you where the the reserve bank's or central bank's policy rate is. And then the rest of the yield curve shows you where the market thinks inflation is heading. Is it going up or down? In South Africa's case, the very steep slope of the yield curve can actually be ascribed to the the government finances the fiscal risk that we've just discussed during this this podcast in terms of the revenue shortfall and a risk of slippage on the spending side the market is concerned that there is going to be an increase in government bond supply so that's also a very important dynamic that we are watching for the mtbps secondly you know skepticism on the side of investors to what extent you know government will succeed in enacting reforms because the only way that we're going to flatten this yield curve on a sustainable basis is if the economy starts to grow, right? Because that will generate revenue. So the the country risk premium has increased on this back of the deterioration in the fiscal position. And then when you look at, you know, who's buying South African government debt, internationally investors has become, you know, started to play more on the sidelines after we lost our our investment grade rating in March 2020, and we've fallen out of many of the investment grade indices. Then what's been exacerbating it recently has been the sell-off in the U.S. treasury markets combined with the rest of the world's markets. So, you know, a lot of investors are preferring to park their money in a 5% U.S. treasury yield as opposed to a higher risk, even a high yield in South Africa, where there's higher risk. So that's playing out. Um, The MTBPS is actually going to be quite important in terms of the the communication, because we know that government is committed to fiscal consolidation, but the, the growth story is actually the big underlying growth driver.
0: Annabelle, a couple of years ago, I was in New York, in Manhattan, and I remember someone pointing out the buildings where the ratings agencies operate from. And these buildings are tall and dark and foreboding. Uh, that's what I seem to remember anyway. Um, obviously, our finances are under the microscope of the credit rating r- ratings agencies. Are we at the risk of another downgrade at some point next year?
1: So I think there's the risk, yes. And in fact, if we look at Moody's says, Moody's actually put out a report earlier this year talking about the severe impact of load shedding on South Africa's economy and actually saying that this will obviously have a negative effect on revenue. But they said they do expect government to cut back expenditure to meet this. Now, of course, government has not done that. Government has not cut back expenditure. Government is not only overspending compared to a year ago, it's also overspending compared to the lack of the revenue collection, the undercollection that we're experiencing now. So, you know, we're really finding ourselves in a situation here in South Africa where things obviously are not going well for a number of factors. We've had high interest rates, which obviously quell economic growth, but it's the structural factors, which we've discussed at length already here. Transit, ESCOM, of course, organized crime, all of those factors really damage economic growth very, very severely. And, of course, revenue collection in term. The credit rating agencies really only do one thing, and that is look at your ability to repay your debt. Mm. Now, if you're issuing more debt, As we know, that then tends to result in a lesser ability to repay your debt unless, of course, your income is rising. And it's not. You know, our revenue is performing quite poorly. This is probably what the credit rating agencies are really going to be looking for in the medium-term budget policy statement. What expenditure cuts are planned for the future? And, you know, that's really going to be quite telling for next year. The um, key concern, obviously, for them is really going to be, as I said, you know, from what perspective is there going to be pressure on borrowings? Is government going to issue a higher debt borrowing ratio. And of course, that really would probably signal us not only falling onto negative outlooks from some of the agencies, but actually being at risk of actually being downgraded as well for those who really have us on negative outlooks.
0: All right, folks, let's uh, close the podcast. And um, I had jotted down one final question for both of you. And uh, it reads, if you were in the finance minister's shoes on November one. What would you do to get the country back on track? I'm going to change the word shoes, though. I'm going to say if you were in the finance minister's combat boots come the 1st of November. Tersha, what would you do?
2: Jeremy, I think one of the, the biggest issue, issues facing or challenging South Africa is the, the lack of confidence, right? So on the, the private sector side, you know, we, we need to see the commitment, the urgency to implement the, the energy and the logistics reform. That will be very positive for the economic outlook, and that will really be, be a big boost to confidence. As far as the expenditure side is concerned, you know, it is an election year ahead. To what extent will the minister be able to implement the measures that he um, have announced or that he's discussing with cabinet? So will there be a buy-in? And then on the revenue side, you know, there's not much that we can do. Um, So that's going to be more a wait and see for,
0: for the growth dynamic. Annabelle, I will give you the last word as you put on those boots.
1: So I think, you know, one of the problems with government finances, and our finance um, minister national treasury often says this as well, is that the allocations in terms of expenditure often baked in years in advance have already been pre-allocated. So it's quite difficult to change them. But that doesn't mean I don't like the idea of amalgamating and reducing the number of government departments and, in fact, bringing them, a lot of them into the presidency as well, ha- as has been suggested. And in fact, cutting down on wastage, inefficiency and corruption is absolutely key. So what I would like to see from the finance minister is a strengthening of this bailout plan for Eskom, where we actually do now push the concessioning of the power stations and don't allow the access of financing for the debt repayment if they don't do that. Because what then happens if they don't get the money to pay off their debt? And of course, then you would find yourself an interesting situation where if they obviously move towards a default, they would, I would imagine, probably have to accept that, that financing and of course those conditions as well. And the same thing for Transnet. So I think that would be absolutely key to continue a strong line on that regard and cut down unnecessary expenditure and unnecessary SOEs in the South African economy.
0: Difficult, of course, to bake things in when we have a shortage of electricity, but you don't need to answer that question. Annabelle Bishop, Tosha Jacobs, thank you very much for joining me on this special extended edition of No Ordinary Wednesday. As we end, just a quick reminder to ensure that you don't miss the next episode. Search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers and long-term insurer.